A breast cancer diagnosis can be shocking, distressing, and incredibly isolating. Find warmth and hope through One to One, a podcast that connects women diagnosed with breast cancer to inspirational survivors, experts in the breast cancer field, and relevant self-care, wellness, and breast cancer-related information. Subscribe to our podcast and feel the power of One to One with Firefly Sisterhood. If you have breast cancer, you are no longer alone. Hello, everyone, and welcome to One to One with Firefly Sisterhood. I'm Amy Tix, a breast cancer survivor, Firefly Sisterhood staffer, and the host of today's podcast. Did you happen to get outside this week and notice any of our local lightning bugs winking their tiny little lights in the dark? We love this time of year when our namesake, the firefly, can be spotted, and if you're lucky, captured for up-close viewing and wonderment. Today, we're extremely lucky as we've caught not one, but two of our fireflies in action. One, a firefly guide. I'm Amy. The other, her firefly sister. I'm Jenny. Like staring at a firefly caught in a mason jar, we are amazed when we hear match stories. And today, Jenny and Amy will do something that we rarely have the opportunity to do, share the details of their match relationship. These two walked into the studio immersed in the easy back and forth banter of longtime friends. We've decided, and I have heard it said by many other cancer patients, losing your hair is one of the worst things about it. Absolutely. And the first time we met, I remember she started to cry and she's like, I'm embarrassed that I'm crying. I'm like, you know what? It's one of the worst things of the whole deal. And people will say weird things to you like, oh, it's just hair. It'll it's grow back. Hair. That is, to me, one of the worst things you can say to a person who has lost their hair. Absolutely. Because if the person hasn't lost their hair, they have no idea what it feels like to lose your hair. And people are telling you like it should be about your health. And of course we know it's about our health. Mm -hmm. We know that, but the hair's right up there with it. We both had long, mm -hmm. lots of long hair. I think our kids identified us looking that way. Mm -hmm. That was really hard for her younger both one and my younger mm -hmm. one still. It's just hair. It's like not a good thing to say to someone that's lost it. I told her that I wanted to say, well, thanks, Captain Obvious. I know it's just hair, and yes, I know it's going to grow back. I know that sounds terrible. I never said it, but in my head, I thought it a few times. I was like, I think people just don't realize sometimes that they don't need to say very much except for give you a hug mm. and say, I'm sorry, and what can, how can I help you? You know what it is, too? I think when people say it's just hair, they're not realizing how much other things you have going on besides hair loss. You're dealing with treatment and being tired and not mm -hmm. feeling like yourself. And a big part of your identity is your hair. It and it's an outward sign mm -hmm. that you are ill. And how have teenagers handled the no hair issue? Actually, my older son, I, I literally said, I said, I understand yeah. you're a teenager. And if you're embarrassed by me uh, losing my hair, I completely understand. Don't think that I'll ever be insulted mm -hmm. if you're embarrassed. And he looked at me and goes, I'm very proud of you. I'll never be embarrassed. I wanted so to ask sweet. because... I know when I was a teenager, I was embarrassed by my parents. And then think yeah. about uh, the pressure that the teenagers oh. have. And we know what our, the pressure was when we were younger. So I was just trying to put myself in his shoes. Mm -hmm. right. My daughter was really, be. really, really supportive too. My son, I don't think it came from a place of embarrassment. I think he was totally traumatized, honestly. That's how my because he identified me looking the way I'd looked his whole life. 
he specifically said, will you be mad at me if I don't want to see your head mom? And I thought, well, how, what am I going to scar this child mm-hmm. for life? I said, no, buddy, you don't have to. So I wore, I wore a little beanie like yeah. 24-7. Mm-hmm. My husband didn't even see my head. We've been married for 20-some years. I think he would have, but I just never, I just kept my beanie on. And I thought that was a thing that was people were making up too about how your head feels cold when there's no hair. Oh, it's like a wind is blowing does. on your head yes. all the time. Cold. There's like a breeze, but there isn't a breeze, but it feels like it. It was mm-hmm. weird. So I yeah, plucked right? that beanie. Even when I was home alone, it became such a thing. I didn't love looking at my head either. I called myself Shrek. I'm like, hey, Shrek, what's up? Like looking in the mirror, I'm like, Yikes. <laughs> but I had to kind of do something to make it funny or else you'd right, be right. crying a lot more. Yeah. The other part about that, too, is the um, the identity. Mm-hmm. They know you as for 14, 16 years as this person. I didn't change my hairstyle much at all mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. their entire lives. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden it's completely different. Yeah. And I think for them, I know my older son said that I came home one night and I always wore my wig at work just okay. to feel more comfortable and mm-hmm. I would come home and I would typically not take it off and but then you know it itches and things like that yes. right so yeah. one night I went to take it off and I said I hope you don't mind if I take it off and he said actually I do it makes me angry oh. because yeah. you know that I have to go through this he said I get angry when I see you bald wow. yeah But this relationship began almost a year ago when Jenny was diagnosed with breast cancer. For me, when I went and was called back, I just had a sense that this wasn't going to be a positive outcome. And then when they called me back again, I remember looking at the technician and she said, I have to call the radiologist in. And I said, this isn't going to be good. And I just lost it. Oh, so then um, he came in and he said, we need to go to a biopsy. And so I had to go home and tell the family at that point. And they knew I was going back for a second read. So when they called me that two days later to let Mm -hmm. me know that the biopsy came back positive, I already knew. And so I already kind of went through the mourning period for those first four days. So when she called me, I was literally at work, and I answered the phone, and, and she said, you have breast cancer. And I said, okay. And she said, do you need a minute? I go, nope, just get going. Because we had two, three days where I knew it was going to be positive. And so our family had a pretty rough, you know, Wednesday, Thursday type thing. But by the time she called me, I was ready to go. Get on with it, but It right? was rough telling the kids. The boys, right. for sure, because they lost their aunt. Mm-hmm. And then I'm telling them. My older son dealt with it quite differently than my younger son. Both are in sports, mm-hmm. but my older son's outlet is just, he went outside and he just starts whipping the lacrosse ball or mm-hmm. smashing the hockey puck. That's how sure. he dealt with the bad news and everything else. And then yeah. my younger son is more of the give mom a hug and sit with her and I have a huge family I have 12 brothers and sisters so I had to call everyone Mm -hmm. and go through it but calling was better than seeing them because when they react Mm -hmm. shocked whatnot and they're saying things at least you don't have to see their Mm -hmm. body language Jenny was incredibly stressed out about her diagnosis which was made more difficult by a pathology error. 
The <laughs> hardest part for me was when I was diagnosed, when she called, she said, well, good news is it's if you have breast cancer, you have the best one to get. And I said, oh, great. And my sister who passed away was her two positive. Mm-hmm. And I was a part of her life and through that journey, through most of it, and I knew what her two positive meant. And I just remember I said, just tell me right now, I just want to know if I'm her two positive. And she said, no, you're negative. And I said, oh my gosh, that's all that matters. And I literally said that. I go, that's all that matters to me. She said, yeah, that's great. Three weeks later, I get a call on July 3rd, and she says, there's been an error in your pathology report. You're her two positive. That was the worst moment for me because three weeks prior, I thought, oh, great. Okay, I just have to go through radiation. It's microcalcifications. It's not even a lump. And they were talking about just radiation and so on and so forth. And they thought they even had it all from the surgery, and that was going to be it. And then when that came back, she said, I'm warning you because you're seeing the oncologist on Friday, and you're going down a different path. And you're most likely going down a different path. And that was the worst news ever. And my July 4th was horrible. Because then, yeah, I had to go back to the family and tell them my subtype is different from what they thought. And my whole game plan is changing. So then chemotherapy is in the mix. Uh And And that's a whole, that's way different than what you had. Oh, yes. And that's why I thought, oh, okay, this is doable. And it's HER2 negative. And that's all that matters. I mean, really, the HER2 diagnosis is the (sighs) slam. That's when I felt like I got punched in the gut when that happened. And the stress kicked in, yep. and you got that's when you got the shingles and everything, right? Yep, I got oh, shingles and all that. Yeah, those awful. Oh, we have that in common so too. Stressed. I didn't get mine until after. <laughs> I think my immune system was really out of whack, and yes. I got shingles last summer. I got shingles but, from worrying, and and yes. I, for the month of July, because they caught it so early with 3D, they don't have enough research and development to understand that by catching it early is surgery and just radiation enough mm-hmm. with a diagnosis of a stage one A. So I had the option of chemo, radiation, or just radiation. So I ended up the whole month of July going and getting three to four opinions. different opinions. And I would have done the same thing. That's, that was super smart of you because I think you that's a big decision. All right. I ended up at the Mayo, at the University of Minnesota. All in all, they agreed that it was up to me to make the decision. Wow. So that's why that's I ended up with shingles. That's a big decision, <laughs> right? That is a really big decision. It's a little stressful. <laughs> yes. And so yeah. what ultimately so they said helped you change? Uh, we you know, don't make... know enough to tell you that you shouldn't go through chemo, but we can like, tell you that if you do go through it, that basically we're taking you from 75 to an 85, maybe even 95 probability of a non-recurrence, or if you go through chemo, you're basically up with people that are HER2 negative. Okay. And that was kind of So that was my, Mm -hmm. yeah, Yeah, and I just said, you know what, it's going to be a year of quite, you know, quite the journey, right? But you just have to do it. On the verge of chemotherapy, Jenny heard about Firefly Sisterhood and reached out for the support of a Firefly guide. My neighbor said that her friend I had gone through breast cancer the year before and said, oh, you should look up Firefly Sisterhood. So I literally just went online that night, 
I'm anxious, right? I'm going to start chemo. And I thought, oh my gosh, what a, well, I might as well just go online and see what it's all about. So I literally sent Jenny mm -hmm. an email and said, I'm interested. She called right away, mm -hmm. set up an interview. And I remember that interview. It was just hilarious. I was in my driveway. I was ready to leave for something. And we talked for 45 minutes. Mm -hmm. yep. It's a very good process. It's basically a dating uh, game. It gets to the point of the questions that she's asking, mm -hmm. she even asks about religion. But yeah, we ended up interviewing for what, 45 minutes to an hour. And then she connected me with Amy. And then Amy and I started texting and calling and all of a sudden, yeah, here we are. And that first time they met, well, I'll let you be the judge of how that went. The first time I met her, we met for breakfast and we were going to talk for a bit and Four hours later, yeah, we looked at our watches later. and we were like, "It was oh, awesome! Okay. I'll never forget that. It was like a first date. <laughs> it totally was. It was totally <laughs> literally what I said. Where I go, I feel I was so nervous and I excited. I felt like I was going on a first date. Yeah. But we had been texting back and forth, mm -hmm. and she literally has this instinct, like, "Oh, hey, just thinking of you today. I know that what you're doing is." Amy was really good about that because I started chemo in August and she would always know what to say. She understood what I was dealing with and had no problems with any questions that I had. Yeah. That's because Amy had been through a breast cancer diagnosis and treatment before. I was taking a shower the morning of a charity golf tournament that we started, my husband and I, for kids with cancer and life-threatening illnesses for Hope Kids. And I was just taking a shower, and you take a shower every day, and you know what your body feels like, right? You do the same thing every day in the shower. I would put the body wash on to soap up, and I shaved my right armpit like normal and nothing, and I went to shave the left armpit. My thumb grazed across something, and it was felt like this sharp, jaggedy bump. And because you take a shower every day, I'm telling you, the bump was not palpable the day before because I did the same thing in the shower the day before and all of a sudden it was clearly it had been there a while but it, I hadn't felt it right. and I pressed on it and I thought how can I not have felt this before I just instant panic but I'm literally on my way to a golf tournament a charity thing that goes all day so I have to pretend like I haven't found this lump and there is nothing I can do about it right. so I go to this charity thing with my husband I say nothing to him my mom my sisters not a word I'm like what am I going to tell him I found a lump and I don't mm -hmm. know anything so I went through the whole day Still didn't tell my husband. That was a Monday. I called my OB the next day because she's been my doctor since I was 20. The weird part was I was scheduled for my mammogram the following week. It was mm. scheduled for one week from when I found it myself. I went in, and they sent me straight downstairs, which I knew was not good. Right. And all of a sudden, we go from she's feeling my chest to ultrasound, biopsy, mammogram, all in one swoop. Right. You know, I'm hysterical, basically. I told my husband I was going for that. I wasn't about to tell my kids because I didn't know anything yet. I didn't want to tell them right. anything. I just was like, I'm not going to say anything to like, A, what I, I know what it is, and B, what the game plan is. That was Wednesday. Friday, they called me on the phone. It's like someone punched me in the gut, and the wind went out of me, and I just sort of went, <sighs> I was pretty certain it wasn't good, but I didn't know for sure. And I called my husband. My husband turned around and came home, and you're not going to believe this, but we still didn't tell the kids for two weeks after that happened because I didn't know anything still. And I just was adamant that I was, I refused to tell my kids till I had answers. Cause I knew I'm like, they're going to ask a zillion questions that I can't answer except for that I have cancer. My 11 year old kid's going to think you're going to die mom. And that's it.
telling my kids was the like one of the worst moments of my life still to this day. Right. Um, it was horrible. I mean, it was just. Yeah. yeah. It gives for, me a lump in my throat thinking about it because my son was 11 and, he, and my daughter was 14, so she could grasp a little more. I think she was just able to, and he was just, I'm sure, instantly thinking my mom's going to die. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he put his head in my lap and he was like wailing. I mean, it was, it was terrible. It was yeah. really sad. And Amy had contacted Firefly for support after her diagnosis. Mine was actually my packet of information when I met the oncology nurse. The Firefly business card or flyer or whatever was in there. And she looked at me and said, you need to do this. This is an amazing organization, and we're starting to try to tell all the patients that come through about it, which was wonderful. That's how I found out about it. I didn't know anybody else that had done it. I found out from literally from the business card. And she just said, from what I've heard, they get very specific in the way they match you. They they get the right information, and they really get it down to a very, Mm -hmm. you know, you have kids the same age, and you have so many things Mm -hmm. the same, where Mm -hmm. it's kind of crazy, really, Mm -hmm. how they match you. Mm -hmm. I think it's incredible. And then Jenny called me. Once she was ready, Amy became a Firefly guide. It was kind of crazy how quick it was. I mean, I finished January 2017, and I was at guide training like four months later, I think. Okay. It was pretty quick. But th- that's my personality. I am like, I dive into whatever, <laughs> every charity thing, everything that you can help someone that comes my way. If I could do them all, I would do them all, but I can't do them all. Of course, right. most of the ones I choose to volunteer with have a personal, you know. Yeah, a personal connection. Yes, a personal <laughs> connection for me, but it, it was pretty quick. But Yes. And no topic is off limits for Amy with her matches. We both got a little emotional. We talked yeah. about our relationships with our husbands because yeah. it changes yes. for a while. I think now we're building that back up, but we had a long conversation about it because we're changing. Absolutely. We feel different. And as you said, you, you, you looked at yourself in the mirror and you looked and you thought you looked like Shrek, which I thought the exact same thing. And then I started asking about that and we both ended up we get a little emotional because mm-hmm. that that's pretty tough when we mm-hmm. both have very strong marriages mm-hmm. and our husbands are, have been very supportive. Mm-hmm. And then you know you're changing and you don't feel as attractive anymore. Mm-hmm. And, you know, everything hard. starts changing. And then my husband's always complimenting me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. He's like, you never take my compliments seriously. And I said, yeah, but... I look like Fiona. <laughs> and I thought that was probably the most difficult question mm-hmm. that I asked you mm-hmm. because it's it's hard. and it's super hard for all of your loved ones because they feel helpless. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and men especially are fixers. I want to fix it. I want to fix it. I can't fix this. What am I supposed to do? And right. so I think it's really hard for them to see us like that too. And my husband's very complimentary the same way. And I wouldn't take any of his compliments either. I'm like, come on now. I look horrid. Are you joking? It's like three <laughs> eyebrows and one eyelash over here. And <laughs> But yeah, that is that part's hard, how it affects right, right. your marriage. Mm-hmm. He's so cute. He has not taken off his breast cancer. You know, those oh, little yeah, plastic yeah. breasts. Yes, he hasn't yes. taken it off since oh. August of 2016. You know what he asked, said the other day, though, which made me tear up? I said, why do you still have it on? I'm so happy yeah. you do. And he goes, because it's warding it off from ever coming back. <gasps> So I was like, okay, don't take it off. Keep it on (laughs) till it rots and disintegrates. (laughs) Amy's breast cancer story? Well, there is a poignant quote that captures the essence of her work as a firefly guide, mentoring other women recently diagnosed with this disease. The quote is, 
Tell the story of the mountain you climbed because your words can become a page in someone else's survival guide. The funny thing is, Amy will tell you that she is equally inspired by Jenny. The first time I met her when she started telling me everything that she had going on, but she seemed so positive to me, and I'm like, gosh, she's got teenagers, she's working full-time, she's super busy with all of that stuff, she's got this huge family, and then she's working on this 3D mammography resolution, you know, while she's going through all of her treatment. And I was like, this woman is a dynamo. Like, I just was kind of blown <laughs> away. <laughs> that 3D mammography movement Amy mentioned, Jenny is a passionate advocate after experiencing one herself. Well, my sister passed away from breast cancer, okay. and she was only 38 when she was diagnosed. Mm-hmm. So at 38, it wasn't a big push for mammograms right until 40 so then I was receiving 2d mammograms until 2015 and then my physician said there's this new technology out there 3d you really should try it because I have very dense breasts but at the time she didn't really say why she said you really need to do this I said okay and she said yeah there might be some extra costs but and I go you know I don't care I'll do whatever so I've been getting 3d since 2015 and they caught it in my 3D last year, and it was microcalcification, so it wasn't even a lump yet. I, and my physician and my um, my surgeon both said it would have been at least two or three more years before they would have caught it on a regular 2D. Right. So it's a huge deal for women with dense breasts. So women with dense breasts, there's like 45% of women that have dense breasts. I have extremely same me, thing. Me too. Mine. Mine's a level four. There's a yeah. one through four, and you should be... Um, by your health provider what level you are and then they should be able to tell you what technology would be most suited for you you know if you have to go all the way to 3d or mri or if 2d is fine and 2d will eventually catch but i'm two to three years ahead and i have the her2 positive so we have aggressive breast cancer and so and my sister had aggressive breast cancer So I'm extremely fortunate that I'm a stage 1A. I think it's all because of 3D, and I'm just trying to spread the word because a lot of women don't understand 3D versus 2D. So I started a website. We demand 3D. So I was working at a federal level. It's really a bummer. She was working with Eric Paulson on the resolution, and he didn't get reelected. And then I was trying to work at the state level for a bill, and that representative didn't get reelected. So both are sitting there ready to go, and I'm just trying to find someone to pick them up. The FDA just sent out a proposal to change mammography quality regulations. It's up for public comment until June 26th. And it's that health providers have to let women know if they have dense breasts, what level it is, and what the requirement well, or what the recommended want to know technology this. Women is. Women that have a family history, women that have dense breasts, Why wouldn't you want to know? Yeah, yeah, you didn't want to mess with anything else. These women, matched through Firefly, plan to continue their relationship as friends. We both have a passion for charities, causes. I think that's going to be a a very strong connection for us Mm -hmm. moving forward. We're both passionate, passionate advocates, huh? Mm -hmm. 
And then we did the Making Strides Walk together um, yep. last fall with in October. Mm-hmm. The end of October. At the, um, the U.S. US Bank Spain. Stadium. Mm-hmm. Oh, how fun! Yeah, which was awesome. And cool. I never. That was my first. See, she's been to quite a few events with her family history of sure. breast cancer, sure. like mm-hmm. the the Komen Walk and stuff. Yes. And I hadn't, so that was good. But it was yeah. super powerful because she had finished chemo a week before that. We yes. had to write. We went to the survivor, survivor area. Tent area, yeah. And it said, so. how long have you been a survivor? And hers was one week. And so she looked down at it and she started to cry. Then I started to cry. Her sister started to cry. You know, I was like, wow. Yes. Yeah, it was pretty powerful. So I don't know. We just have this connection that we had, like, right away. Each Firefly match is unique. Some are single conversations about surgical choices. Others last throughout a woman's surgeries and treatments, and some last a lifetime. Thank you for joining us on One to One with Firefly Sisterhood. Firefly Sisterhood does not recommend or endorse physicians, other healthcare providers, healthcare facilities, medical treatments, and or any other content experts and providers that are guests on our podcast. Any health-related content in today's show should not be substituted for your doctor's advice. We would like to thank everyone who is helping us in carrying out our mission our guests today, our sponsors, our individual donors who financially support the Firefly program, and our volunteer Firefly guides, women surviving breast cancer who support those recently diagnosed with this disease. For more information about Firefly or to follow us on your favorite social media platforms, go to www.fireflysisterhood.org. While you're there, consider supporting our one-to-one program with a donation or leave us a message with feedback by emailing info, I-N-F-O, at fireflysisterhood.org. Music for today's show is by Otros. One to One with Firefly Sisterhood is produced by Amy Tix at Firefly Sisterhood.